0: Hi, this is Lindsey Miller, and you're listening to the Arkansas Times Week Interview Podcast on Friday, June the eighth. On this week's episode, we're going to discuss the guilty plea of Rusty Cranford, the latest in the medical marijuana application debacle, and Judge Wendell Griffin and Ethics. Big news of the week, in a in a big news filled week, uh, was Rusty Cranford, the former lobbyist and health company executive who's been involved in robbery and kickback schemes with various Arkansas legislators and others, entered a negotiated guilty plea this week to a restated set of federal charges in Springfield, Missouri.
1: In some ways, not much of this is unexpected, but it still seemed huge to me. It's just a, an astonishing compilation.
0: 63 pages?
1: Yeah, 43 page federal information that, that outlines illegal acts that Rusty Cranford has admitted to doing is in a dual role as a lobbyist and an executive of a healthcare company now known as Preferred Family Health Care, which over the last 10 years or so has made $800 million in federal reimbursements for a variety of programs, mostly funded by Medicaid, mental health services, youth services, that sort of thing. Well, they didn't make this money entirely by accident by being good guys, as the information points out. The top four executives of this company conspired with, now they have not been charged, I want to say, but the the information seems to suggest strongly that they conspired with Cranford to do things like giving illegal campaign contributions to politicians, bribing politicians, uh, lavishing entertainment on politicians. To uh, get direct grants for their company, or or benefits in legislation, a key benefit in Arkansas was beating le- was passing legislation that r- made it harder t- for regulators to rate them badly and cut down the amount of money they get. That's a decision that's worth an untold amount of money. Well, one of the one of the things that did come out in the information day, although they didn't name him by name, but he was acknowledged in, in Cranford's appearance in court in federal court in Springfield this week was that uh, this outfit had been put on had put on retainer so called a member of the Arkansas State Senate Jeremy Hutchinson who's a lawyer and uh, paid him over a period of several years $500,000 uh, some of it is a $9,000 a month retainer that's $100,000 a year to do legal work for him well the, the, the import of the federal court criminal is that this wasn't legal work. He was out there as a fixer and, and to pass legislation that was beneficial to this outfit. Hutchinson, through his lawyer, uh, Tim Dudley, said, oh, this is all legal and ethical. Well, there is a state law that says you can't do effectively lobbying work for a paid customer while sitting in the legislature. And I don't know what introducing bills that produces money for the person who was paying him is is but that but that's that's a matter yet to be determined. He hadn't been charged yet, but I think the reason somebody said why hadn't Jeremy Hutchinson been charged? Well, that's because Rusty Cranford just pleaded guilty. He's a key man not only against Jeremy Hutchinson but also against these former executives of this company. There are also a number of other unidentified Senator A and Representative B and Person Seven and then Entity H that receive benefits from Cranford's work, uh, some of it perhaps legal, some of it clearly not. One of the things that we've just developed this afternoon is that Jared Henderson, who was then head of Teach for America in Arkansas, the, the outfit that puts new college students in poor school districts and in theory because of their energy they do better than old teachers perhaps at reaching poor kids. He hired Rusty Cranford as a lobbyist uh, to help him get some support for Teach for America in Arkansas and it was successful. Uh, Jeremy Hutchinson handled the legislation. Jared Henderson tells us he had no idea that Tim Hutchinson was, uh, that Jeremy Hutchinson was on Rusty Cranford's payroll. He thought this was just a legislator doing a good deed. And uh, Jeremy Hutchinson was so successful uh, he persuaded his uncle, the governor, Asa Hutchinson, to go along with a three million dollar outlay to Teach for America to hire teachers to work in Poor Arkansas school districts in South Arkansas. Now, part of the way he had to do that is Jared Henderson got some rich local people, including the publisher of the Democrat Gazette, Walter Husband, to chip in three million of their own money to hire Teach for America teachers in the Little Rock school district, and that was enough to bring Ace over the hump. We've learned subsequently that they didn't take all of the three million; they took two million of it. And and again, there's there, there is nothing in the criminal information or in what we've learned so far that suggests Teach for America getting money and spending it on teachers was improper, I, I still have the, the the question that I would ask Jared Henderson if he were today, and, of course, he's a Democratic candidate for governor against Asa Hutchinson now, is out of all the lobby shops in all of the world, why in the world did you walk into Rusty Cranford's? Maybe because he was successful. Lord knows he raised a lot of money for a lot of people, and... Clearly got a lot of people to do his bidding by giving him state money through the General Improvement Fund. So there's that. I mean, I think there's some elements of this that that some people will find more appealing because it's so understandable. Rusty Cranford taking pains to pay for a hotel room and fancy Major League Baseball seats, World Series tickets for both John Woods, who's been convicted of of a bribery scheme and Jeremy Hutchins make sure have their rooms are close together at the hotel in St. Louis, the Weston, where they're going to stay. No Motel 6 for these guys. Uh, the, you know, f- fundraising dinners at everywhere from Sims Barbecue to the Capitol Hotel, for Democrats too, by the way, not only Republicans, for a candidate for governor in 2012, for, for various others. I mean, the depth of the corruption is so huge. And here's the other part of it that bothers me and that has me on a tear is that this isn't really a surprise. I mean, the corruption was so vast that if everybody at the Capitol, if they didn't know directly about it, suspected it, it, that the whole thing just stunk, and that other people were running their own stinky deals. You know, we'll probably talk about medical marijuana where there was another bribery allegation that arose. But, you know, there's just uh, there's just so much out there that I, I just sometimes think the only solution is to throw them all out. <laughs> And, and 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 I want to say, and I've ranted about this, but I want to say it here. Ted Sewell ran some behavior health companies in Arkansas some years ago. He was accused in a bribery scheme, later convicted. The minute he was accused in the bribery scheme, and a DHS employee was was identified as being complicit in it, the state stopped doing business with his outfit, and they went out of business because they were receiving Medicaid money. The state of Arkansas is not to touch Preferred Family Health Services. That outfit even issued News Relays saying, saying we're the victims. Well, that's baloney. They're not the victims. They are in a preferential place in Arkansas with tens of millions in federally reimbursed money, in part thanks to a corrupt criminal enterprise that paid bribes and did kickbacks and gave, gave illegal money and passed legislation that benefit them. They're in a position of making this money now through dirty hands. And, and I just, I think there ought to be an investigation. I think, I think they ought to end their business, frankly, but, but there ought to be more effort than the governor has made today to do anything about this. It's all been said, oh, there's nothing we can do about it. They're the only people out there to do this. This is unacceptable. And frankly, I thought Michael John Gray, the state democratic party chairman today, who issued a Namby Pamby statement saying, well, if somebody is charged, then they ought to resign from the Senate aimed at Jeremy Hutchins said, you know, we've got How many legislators now, former legislators? Mike O'Neill, John Woods, Jake Files, Henry Wilkins, Eddie Cooper. That's five who've all pleaded guilty or been found guilty. We've got a lobbyist who's pleaded guilty. We've got a state senator who was paid $500,000 to to do business for a dirty lobbyist. And even if it was legal, it stinks. I mean, I I don't really need to know more. I, I say it's time to call for people who got campaign money from these guys to send it back. I say it's time to clean up the sewer and delivery of health services in Arkansas, and it's time for people to stand up and say why did they do what they did for these people for so many years, and this is going to include some people, some Democrats who have said righteous things from my point of view on other political issues. But I don't care. I don't care who it smears. This this needs to be cleaned up.
0: Do you think the difference in DHS's handling of the two was that one of their own was implicated?
1: Well, you know, I, all I can say is is it's impossible not to have that suspicion that that there's some there's some uncomfortable ties with the governor's nephew and others known to them that are their friends that that have have prompted them not to move as toughly. I, I mean, I, what, what else can you conclude?
0: I actually meant DHS was implicated in the Sewell case because one of their own employees. Well, there, there
1: was yeah, there was a legislator who also worked for DHS. However, there there is a, there is a reference in this information to a state employee. Uh, there there are people who were who were indicted and charged who worked for the agencies that got the ill-gotten money. I mean, there, there's there's abundant evidence of stuff that the state didn't see. And also, the state clearly did not audit how this money that was passed out and gift money was spent. I mean, they haven't even begun in the federal investigation to get to all the smelly money that was spent on dubious purposes. It was allowed to be passed passed out. And in in this company... I mean, this company made enough money for at least three and a half million to be spent illegally on kickbacks and bribes. It, that's how much Rusty Cranford is, is, has a judgment against them for. At least that much. That's how much extra money they were making out of doing Medicaid work in Arkansas, and, and nobody ever sent something wrong. Of course, this was the agency that missed eleven million dollars in thievery of of school f- of of, uh, of poor feeding program money, and so I mean. At a minimum, it's in, as I said, it's incompetence. If it's not corruption, it's incompetence. And and I've yet to see anybody step forward and say, we're going to fix this. Yeah.
0: Okay, well, let's let's move on. i remind now. you that the, the, the Hutchinson administration
1: made a big deal about putting somebody in charge of Medicaid fraud when he took office. Four years later, uh, the feds found millions of dollars worth. Oh. But our Medicaid fraud person didn't.
0: The Arkansas Supreme Court this week heard oral arguments of the state's appeal of Circuit Judge Wendell Griffin's ruling that the State Medical Marijuana Commission's approval of five applications to grow medical marijuana was constitutionally flawed.
1: Well, I, I'm not going to get into all the legal ins and outs of this. The, it sounds to me like there are a lot of people on the Supreme Court that think Wendell Griffin didn't have jurisdiction to hear this case in the first place. And I think they're likely to overturn him. However, they're gonna do so in the face of news that 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 was filed in this case that there's a lottery there's a marijuana commissioner who said one of the applicants for a cultivation permit attempted to bribe him, but he didn't take it. Now he also didn't report the bribe attempt. We're not entirely clear exactly how news of this bribe attempt surfaced. However, I have some not wholly confirmed indications from a variety of sources that there may have been a staying underway on somebody who suspected there might be a commissioner who was susceptible and there perhaps is some evidence that might support that point of view. And that was how this came to be known. I don't know if that's true, Juicy. but we do know, we do know that there were terrible anomalies in grading. You know, one commissioner who gave two high scores amidst, Ultra low scores for everybody else. Just so happens, one of his two high scores went to this company that supposedly offered a bribe to a commissioner. Hmm. So uh, he gave him a high score, but didn't take the money. I mean, that's what some people are saying.
0: I, well, it is all very weird how this came down. the The attorney general's office asked the court if it could present the sealed letter to the court and to the attorneys, but the uh, attorneys were not supposed to show it, share it with their clients.
1: Right, and the Supreme Court ultimately decided that the the letter should be released. What I don't understand, unless the Attorney General was trying to force out this information, several people in response to the filing of this letter said, the record on this case is closed, this letter is irrelevant to what's before this court, which is exactly true. It was far too late to introduce that as any evidence in making the decision on whether or not the, the permits were properly awarded, so why did the Attorney General file that thing in the first place? That That's one question. I do think the Supreme Court made exactly the right decision in releasing it and putting it on the public record, although this may have all been the plot to start with, I mean, as a way to get it out in the open. But what, what this all is about is it only once again highlighted how badly Arkansas handled the evaluation process for the cultivation permits. It had f- a commission comprised of people that really didn't have any experience in this kind of work or in this industry even if you accept they all did their dead level best to do it honestly you had at least two members of the commission that had personal ties to people who were applicants the efforts to keep the applications blind was was not complete at best they failed to fully investigate elements of the applications on financial background among others. Uh, It was just a mess and and I do think the commission has it within its power if they get the case back if the Supreme Court reverses Griffin and it's now in their hands and they can then finally award the permits they say no there's just too much a problem here we're going to restart it we're going to hire a national accounting firm and they're going to evaluate they're going to evaluate the, the applications, or something. I, I don't know, but it's, I don't think there's any way the public has any reason to be confident that there's been a fair and proper process in reviewing these applications, and it just seems to me to go from where we are now is a bad mistake. However, that means delaying the delivery of medical marijuana to people who want it, need it, and who voted to have it in Arkansas.
0: For a considerable time.
1: For a long time and, and 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 until the marijuana can be grown, it can't be sold. Right. Because they can't. We only haven't even started
0: they haven't even started grading, no, the, uh, dispensary they haven't started grading
1: the dispensary application. So so when was this approved? A year ago in November? Is that yep. no? Two years? Yes. Hmm. It would have been approved in the election of two thousand sixteen. The enabling legislation passed right. in two thousand seventeen We're coming up on two years since the vote, and we're nowhere near a spliff yet.
0: (laughs) Speaking of Wendell Griffin, a panel of the State Judicial Discipline and Disability Commission has found probable cause for an ethics charge against him arising from his participation in a death penalty demonstration the same day he decided a case related to a drug used in execution. Well,
1: you know, this is not too surprising, but it's too bad, Uh, and and here's why I say that. Wendell Griffin participated in a demonstration outside the governor's mansion on Good Friday, the same day he issued a ruling in a case over use of an execution drug. The state improperly obtained it, and it was really a property rights case, but it had the effect of stopping the use of the drug in execution, which he knew when he decided that, even if it was a property rights case. And never mind that a subsequent judge took the same case, made the same finding, who hadn't participated in any kind of demonstration. Griffin says he wasn't really protesting the death penalty. He was impersonating Jesus, but nobody really buys that, particularly since he'd been in another death penalty demonstration that day and has frequently written and talked about the death penalty. The panel concluded that he has a right to free speech and a right to practice his religion, but if he's going to do so, so openly and repeatedly, he shouldn't take cases that affect the death penalty. Well, I'm not sure they're right. Uh, I, I think judges presumably handle all kinds of cases where they have differing opinions now it is a problem that he was so open about it. and i've always said that while Wendell griffin has a right to say and do these things it inevitably leads people to believe he's not fair in deciding the case rightly or wrongly i mean whether whether he is fair or not doesn't matter the appearance is there here's here's why i say this is a problem on this decision the, there's a string of federal court precedents that just absolutely extends to, to judges the right to free speech like everybody else and that some of these ethical and, and Wendell Griffin himself has won one case on this already and that you just can't punish people, government can't punish people, take their job away for expressing their first for using their first amendment right to free speech uh, and it, and so I I think this panel looked at the case and felt like they had to do something I mean, what Wendell does is kind of outrageous. I mean, if he wants to be a judge, be a judge and try and behave in a way that people don't have cause to question him. I do think there's room for a judicial panel, and he'll contest this, and he'll ask that this be dismissed first, and if it's not dismissed, then he'll go to a public trial. I think there's a chance the charge could be dismissed. I mean, I think the case law is so strong in favor of First Amendment rights. But I also think there is room to to have some kind of reprimand warning or what have you about a judge that does things that gives the public cause to think he's not impartial. Uh, this won't solve Wendell Griffin's problem. The legislature is, you know, there are some hot heads there that are hot to impeach him for exercising his first amendment rights. I mean, Trent Garner, for one, who's allegedly a lawyer, might want have been one of the worst ever graduated from the University of Arkansas Law School, I'd say, but he basically thinks if you disagree with him, you don't have a right to just about anything. I think he's just an execrable senator. But, but he's out there beating the drum, and if he stays on the bench, he'll try and get him removed. In which case, I think if that were to, ha- if all that were to happen, and it would just be terrible for a variety of reasons, because it would be another one of these race things. I don't think it'd be nearly the same thing if Wendell Griffin were white. I mean, there's been nobody who called for the removal of the judge who was. Who was trading sexual favors with defendants in his court? An old white man, and then he finally left office. Nobody wanted to impeach him at the time, but it's just you know that politicizing judicial decisions is a bad thing, and then taking it in the legislative arena. And if they do it and they remove him by impeachment, he'll just run again and get elected again. Yeah. So
0: you say open trial before the commission? There'd be an open trial.
1: Yes that's this process is a there was an investigation the investigator presented facts to a panel that panel decides that there's probable cause for a charge to be filed they've decided there was that there's now a charge against him and he can he can file motions just like a charge filed in a criminal court it's not a criminal court and say first of all there's not sufficient evidence and the law is against you and it'll it'll be dismissed so you should dismiss this charge That'll be heard by a different panel, other other members of the Judicial Commission. There are three different panels of three each, I think, that, that hear cases. So you have different people that hear different aspects. This was kind of like a grand jury indictment. And then they'll decide <coughs> whether it should be dismissed, or they'll say, no, we think it should go forward to trial, in which case then there will be a trial by a panel of the Commission on whether he should be found guilty of an ethics violation, and if so, what the penalty should be. And the penalty can be anything from a reprimand to removal from office.
0: The trial where he'd have an it, attorney. It and Full normal.
1: rules of evidence. He could present his case. It'd all be in public. And
0: Meanwhile, I'm not sure if you mentioned, but, of course, Griffin sued the Supreme Court for removing him in federal court. And
1: that, and that yes, and he also has a Judicial Discipline Commission complaint pending and that's still under investigation, and that that group has not yet rendered a finding if it, if it it'll it'll either say the Supreme Court acted unethically and they had some ex parte hearings on this that looked pretty smelly i got to tell you but or or whether that they're they've done no wrong they'll have to announce that they've found no probable cause. what if they had competing
0: uh well
1: that would just be another reason why sometimes we just need to I mean the, the Supreme Court acted improvidently in this They acted without due process for Griffin They had secret discussions about it And they decided to do this because it was a political hot potato And it was They, they mishandled the case at a minimum Whether it rises the level of an ethics charge I don't know But they just made a mess of it And it just You know anyway. But that's politics
0: but Griffin's uh, federal civil rights case against uh, the members of the court is still alive in Jay Moody's court, is that right?
1: Right, right, and I, it's it's survived so far by thread. I don't know if it's going to survive the motions to dismiss or not.
0: We shall see. All right, let's leave it there and move on to endorsements. What do you have?
1: Well, I'm just you know I just can't shake Nazi Germany. <laughs> So I've watched a couple of movies lately that I recommend. I don't know if they're that new, but one of them's Labyrinth of Lies, and the other one is the, the People versus Fritz Bauer. And they're both related to a guy named Fritz Bauer, who was a. a, a he'd been imprisoned in a, a concentration camp. He was a German Jew for time, got free, stayed in Denmark till after the war, then got a job in the German prosecutor's office, and his job was to go after former Nazis. And he got tremendous resistance from the many former Nazis who were then running the German government, but he did one thing, he tipped off the Mossad, the Israeli uh, Secret Service on where to find Adolf Eichmann and and that got him in deep Dutch with the Nazi sympathizers who were still in German government, but they're just they're, they're both good period pieces, they're in German with subtitles, but the look of Germany in the fifties, and kind of the lingering post-war thing, and, and finally some, some real success. He was also gay, by the way, which kind of adds an element to the story. And and uh, it was I don't know, just coping with our past and coming to grips with it and moving forward. It's they're both they're both pretty interesting. Huh?
0: Did you read The Plot Against America, the Philip Roth book? No, you'd probably like it. It's uh, I just have a few pages left. It's him. Uh, it's an alternative history where he imagines that, um, uh, why is my mind blanking out, who's the famous airplane pilot who's Nazi sympathizer, Lindbergh, oh, yeah. Charles Lindbergh, uh, becomes president. Whoa. And, uh, and, and well, is, he kind of did. Is His sim- name's Trump.
1: Is simple, yeah,
0: <laughs> so the book got a lot of uh, attention after the election of Trump because there's the, the quite, a, stuff, quite right? a bit of parallels. It's it's worth reading. I mean, of course, Roth is always great, but he it's a very elaborate alternative history that that's rooted in um, you know, a lot of historical research.
1: And and there's basis to believe that there's a strong element of people that have appeal for those points of view.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh well, my endorsement, I may have endorsed this before. I can't remember what I talked about is uh tennis. I I played tennis quite a bit as a kid and uh, when I was in seventh grade or so I had a teacher who was a a large woman um, who was obsessed with tennis and kept talking about how she wanted to play tennis with us sometimes and so we played doubles with her and I lost to her and I was just devastated Mm -hmm. because she was this like 300 pound woman who just dinked the ball across and I was hitting you know big forehand winners all the time but I, you know, had no strategy and no consistency and a bad temper. <laughs> so so I quit playing for years after that, um until I was in high school and I picked it up a little bit and then I've played sporadically. But our uh, friend and colleague Leslie Peacock takes this group lesson along with her, her daughter Hannah, who also works here and um they taught me into going along. It's at Rebsman um park, which is a great uh, the, the Rebsman Tennis Center, which is not in Rebsman Park, but is off 12th Street, 12th Street. It's, a gr- yeah, great, it's, a, it's a great, facility, great yeah. tennis facility. And uh, yeah, I've I've loved being out there, and I've got my son uh, taking some lessons out there too, and he's into it. And so, tennis family, lifelong sport, they say.
1: Yeah, it is. It's bad on the knees for heavy guys, though. I, I, I learned I played in a few years,
0: but yeah. Okay, well, we will leave you there. Uh, Thanks for listening. Subscribe via iTunes. Give us a rating and review. And check out our other shows, The Conversation with Matt Price, uh, Rock the Culture with Antoine Phillips, and uh, No Small Talk with Stephanie Smittle and Amaya Jones. They're all great. See you soon. See you later.